Hi, I'm Anne McElhenney. And I'm Philip McAleer. And welcome to day 12 of the Harvey Weinstein trial unfiltered, a daily podcast using reenactments of the most dramatic moments of verbatim testimony from this day's trial. But first, let's remind everyone of what this trial is all about. This is a case that basically launched the Me Too movement. Movie producer Harvey Weinstein faces two charges of rape and one of a criminal sex act concerning two separate women. He also faces charges of predatory sexual assault, which carry a possible life sentence. So today was a big day. The prosecution rested its case. That's it. They have made their case. They've called all their accusing witnesses, all the backup witnesses, produced all their evidence, all their exhibits, and now it's up to the defence. And the first thing the defence did was to ask for a dismissal of all charges. They also said there should be a mistrial. Uh, Basically, they threw everything at the wall, hoping something would stick. Let's hear what they put to the judge after the prosecution case rested. And this is Damon Sharonis and Joan Rotono, Harvey Weinstein's chief defense lawyers, asking Judge James Burke for a dismissal of all charges. These lines are read by actors, but they are actual verbatim testimony from the court. That's fine. Any motion at the end of the people's case? Yes, Judge. Judge, I am making a trial order of dismissal at the close of the people's case. Judge, specifically with regard to Jessica Mann and the alleged incident that happened in March of 2013 in a New York hotel room. Judge, the evidence elicited from Ms. Mann on direct examination and then on cross-examination did not in any way show any forcible acts on behalf of Harvey Weinstein to Ms. Mann. She testified that she went up to the hotel room with him. She wanted to go to a place that was more private to have a conversation with him. Mr. Capolongo testified from the Doubletree that Mr. Weinstein went up to the area that you would go to go to the elevators and Ms. Mann followed him, never that she was being touched or guided up to that room. Once in that room, she said that she was arguing with him and negotiating with him. He went into the bathroom and that she just lie there. Judge, that does not in any way rise to the level of the elements that the people need to prove to prove the charges against Mr. Weinstein in those matters. With regard to the other charges in this case, Judge, we believe that the people have also not made their burden, and we ask that you grant the motion. And we just also reinstate and re-request all of our motions for a mistrial that have been asked up until this point. So that was a brief appeal for dismissal. I'll tell you, the prosecution was not so brief. Joan Alusi Orban, who is the chief ADA, she gave a very spirited and detailed response to the motion dismiss the man allegations and the other allegations. So let's hear Miss Alusi Orban spell it out why it shouldn't be dismissed. And we will hear the judge's rather brief response to the motions. Yes, Your Honor. The people have more than proved this case beyond a reasonable doubt, and certainly there is sufficient evidence for this to go before a jury. I hearken you first to Annabella Shiora. Ms. Shiora indicates that on the night in question, she receives after coming home, getting a ride from the defendant, she receives a knock at the door. She's in her evening attire in that she is wearing just a nightgown. She opens the door, a crack. The defendant then barges in. He begins to case the apartment, as she would say, going from room to room and beginning to undo his clothing. She says no. This is... I don't know what you think this is. This is not happening. She orders him out. He is not dissuaded. He continues to back her up into a bedroom, grabs her, and forcibly puts her on a bed. She physically resists. He holds her arms and her wrists above her head and then enters her vagina with his penis. After that, he then puts his mouth on her vagina, and she has continually fought trying to get him off of her. At that point, she is losing her physical battle. She almost seizes, and she is left on the floor. Ms. Haley indicates that after going to the—she goes to the defendant's apartment after previously rejecting any of his advances, and what starts out as a normal conversation changes quickly. The defendant, at some point, lunges at her, forcibly kissing her, backing her into a bedroom, causing her to fall back on the bed. She tries to get up several times. He keeps putting her back down. He then puts his mouth on her vagina. She continues to try to dissuade him from doing this, even telling him, I am on my period. I have a tampon. He forcibly removes the tampon and continues to do the same. She actually says that she is in fear. 
She says that a driver took her up to the apartment. She thinks that even screaming or trying to push him and trying to physically get past him would not prove to be fruitful. She fears that maybe the driver is even still there or downstairs. Maybe he is in on it, is what she says. As far as Jessica Mann indicates, Judge, she's at a hotel. She's not there to go to a room with the defendant, and she does not ask the defendant for a private conversation on that day. That was conflated by counsel. In fact, she is there, and he is there at that time, she believes, to have a breakfast meeting to introduce him to her friends. Prior to that breakfast meeting, the defendant arrives early for that meeting to the surprise of Ms. Mann, and she goes down and finds that he is checking into a room. She becomes distraught because she realizes what he is going to want. She just tries to dissuade him. He grabs her and tells her to not embarrass him, and even Mr. Capolongo, who doesn't know the defendant, is not a woman and is not in fear of being raped, was also, equally, found the defendant both menacing and intimidating at that moment. The defendant then leads her upstairs, and then at some point takes his hand and pushes her ahead of him, which is outside of the sight of Mr. Capolongo. They go up to the room. She several times tries to get out of the room, tries to open the door. He puts his arm, he is obviously much larger, much stronger, and a taller person, puts his arm over her, across the door jam, slamming the door shut against her repeated efforts to get out. He demands that she gets naked and get on the bed. After, only after she is completely naked, he goes briefly into the bathroom, comes back, puts his weight on her, and forcibly enters her vagina with his penis. In all of these instances, certainly, Judge, rape in the first degree is made out. In the third instance, not only is rape in the first degree made out and criminal sex act in the first degree intermittently for the other witnesses, but additionally, Judge, rape in the third degree is made out. Moreover, because of the forcible rape and forcible criminal sex act of Annabella Sciorra, the people have proved that the defendant committed predatory sexual assault. Okay. The motions for the trial order of dismissal and also motion for a mistrial is denied. So very short shrift from the judge, which kind of reflects the way he's been leaning um, all the time in this case, accepting yeah. very few motions from the defense and allowing a lot from the prosecution. I suppose the only notable exceptions were when he got very annoyed with the prosecution over their failure to disclose relevant evidence, what's known as a Brady violation. Um, and when the prosecution did not have witnesses available, that was another thing that kind of upset him. Yeah. And he said, and he had to send the jury home early and he said, you know, if that happened again, he just simply announced that the prosecution rested. So then, but the opening, the opening Days. Yes, this morning was a continuing cross-examination and examination of Lauren Young, who is another accuser. And once again... We oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> we had an awful lot more genital descriptions here. Yes, so just again to warn everyone that this is a bit explicit. So let's just hear... It's also, you know, as I say, I've covered a lot of court cases and I didn't think after 25 years as a journalist I'd be sitting here discussing Harvey Weinstein's genitalia, but that is how... That's, that's where we've ended up. So let's hear her being examined by ADA, re-examined by ADA Megan Hast. There were some questions about a recorded interview that you had with L.A. detectives and L.A.D.A.s on the phone in May of 2019. Remember that? Yes. In each of those interviews, did you describe how you got trapped in the bathroom with the defendant? Yes. Did you describe how he masturbated in front of you? Yes. Did you describe how he was holding and grabbing your breast? Yes. Objection. Sustained. By the way, can you describe the ejaculation when you saw the defendant ejaculate? Objection! Overruled. It didn't look normal. It was, like, clumpy. Mr. Sharonis asked you yesterday about a statement that you made about being pushed into the bathroom. Remember that? Yes. Were you actually ever physically pushed into the bathroom? No, I was not. Can you describe what you were trying to articulate when you were using that word? That I was forced, stuck, trapped in there, and I didn't properly explain it. 
However, in a cross-examination by Damon Sharonis, he scored some good points by drawing attention to her changing stories about Mr. Weinstein's genitalia. Um, Another witness had described Mr. Weinstein as being intersex with no testicles and a small vagina. So in evidence yesterday, Miss Young said that he had deformed genitalia, which would back up her claim that she's seen them. However, as Mr. Sharonis made her admit, when she was first interviewed, she had said his genitalia was normal. And it was only after frequent prompting by detectives that she said otherwise. So let's hear that exchange. And again, obviously, this is very explicit and, and not not that easy to listen to. Yes. Um, but uh, but it's important. So let's hear that. You told the members of the jury on redirect that you were having trouble articulating what Mr. Weinstein's body looked like. Do you remember that? Yes. Well, you spoke to Detective Vargas in October of 2018, and they asked you what his body looked like, didn't they? Yes. They asked you about his genitalia, didn't they? Yes, they did. They asked you about whether he had testicles? Yes. At that time, you said he has them. I don't know if there was one or two. They asked you where, where, how did you notice them? There is a sack under his hand, his penis. You said those words, right? Yes. That was not trouble articulating what you saw. Objection. Sustained. You told them what you saw, correct? I said one Two balls. I'm not sure what was in there, but I saw a sack, but it did not look right. Then they asked you, you could make out the scrotum and the testicles, and you say, "Uh uh-huh. Then they ask you, or not sure, and you say, I could make them out, correct? Yes. Okay, so that was not, you weren't having any trouble articulating that, were you? Objection. Sustained. What happened is, when you said that to the detective, they kept asking you questions until you said maybe he didn't have any balls. That is what happened, right? No. Objection. Overruled. Question and answer stands. Later on in the same transcript, after they asked you questions, you say, maybe he didn't have any balls, didn't you? I didn't think the sack was full. Really? Objection. Sustained. So, when you said you could make out the scrotum and testicles, you said I could make them out, you were wrong? I was not wrong. It was only after they kept asking you and asking you that you said maybe he didn't have balls, right? Objection. Sustained. So Harvey Weinstein is actually only being criminally charged with sexually assaulting two women. Now, there are four other accusers who have come through the courtroom for the prosecution case. And there's a lot of confusion about the purpose of these four backup witnesses, these four so-called Molyneux witnesses. They're designed to show prior bad acts. But it's confusing, and the judge tried to help the jury today, but I'm not sure he did. It's confusing because Harvey Weinstein is also being charged with predatory sexual assault, that he's a predator, that he he has done this multiple times. But the judge said that you can't use the four women's stories to back up that particular charge. So let's hear what he what he had to say in a charge to the jury. And try and imagine yourself as one of the jury members trying to work your way through this because yes. we're, we're finding it a little challenging. Yes. So let's have a listen. Jurors, let me read to you again. You heard evidence during the course of the trial the defendant had certain sexual and other interactions with Dawn Dunning and Torale Wolf and also Lauren Young. These witnesses are not the complaining witnesses in the indictment. And I will explain again how this evidence is to be considered by you. This evidence was not offered and must not be considered for the purpose of proving that the defendant had a propensity or predisposition to commit the crimes charged in this case. It was offered as evidence for your consideration on the question of whether the defendant intended to forcibly compel the complaining witnesses in the indictment to engage in the sexual acts, and whether each of the complaining witnesses consented to those sexual acts. If you find the evidence believable, you may consider it for those limited purposes and to no other. So if I was on the jury, that would leave me more confused, not less. You know, what is the predatory assault charge based on the two women, the four women, the six women? Maybe it'll become clearer when the judge sums up. But one thing I would like to say is that if you like this podcast and we're getting really positive responses to it, please go and rate it. It's important. That means other people will see it. It'll go up the rankings. And we're very pleased, by the way, with how things are going. And we'd like to give a shout out, please, to all our fans in Ireland, in Canada, Australia, yes, as well as here in the United 
United States. Oh, and Canada. Did I mention Canada yes. already? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're very aware and watching the numbers. So we're very happy that you guys are listening. We're in, so. the t- we're in the top 50 true crime podcasts in the UK, top 50 in Ireland, top 60 in Australia. So if you could just send it to all your true crime friends, yes. we could hit the top 10. And uh, that's amazing. But I think we're doing a unique thing here. And, we and I, lo- think people are, I think people are enjoying it because yes. it's a great way for people to get into the courtroom without getting into the courtroom. Yes. So, so we're going to hear from Miss Young next, right? No. No, sorry. It was a brief witness, Ryan Beatty. We're not going to reenact him here. I just want to tell people what he said. He was brought to court to back up Miss Young's account of arriving home distraught from after her sexual assault by Harvey Weinstein. And normally you're not allowed to have hearsay witnesses in court, but the exception is if it's a prompt outcry, it adds, you know, if someone says it at, it, that moment. at the moment. So she came home. However, I'm not sure that the prosecution got the hit they wanted. You know, he said she was very, very upset, crying, the most crying he'd ever seen her, but didn't say why she was crying. And, you know, cross-examined by Donna Rotono, she focused on the lack of details and how they had talked, the two friends and their lifelong friends, Ryan Beatty and Miss Young, how they had talked in the past about the incident in preparation for the court appearance. So short witness corroborated some of Miss Young's testimony. And in my opinion, Miss Young, Lauren Young, is the strongest witness, that's my opinion, for the prosecution. And any bolstering of her evidence is good for the prosecution. So it's been a good few days for the prosecution. And then they rested. Then in the afternoon, the defense opened. And the first witness was a person called Paul Felcher, a former Miramax employee. That's Miramax, the company owned by Harvey Weinstein and his brother Bob. And he was called really to hear about a conversation he says he had with actress. Annabella Sciorra, yeah, regarding yeah. Harvey Weinstein. But, you know, and first Donna Rotono asked him about how he'd actually met Harvey Weinstein. Let's hear that. Mr. Feldsher, where do you live? Manhattan. What do you do for a living? I'm a writer, but I'm mostly a stay-home parent. You have how many children? Two. Do you know someone named Harvey Weinstein? I do. Do you see Harvey Weinstein in the courtroom today? I do. How long have you known Mr. Weinstein? The better part of 30 years. Do you remember when or where you first met Mr. Weinstein? I actually think the first time I met Mr. Weinstein was a casual meeting at a place called Elaine's. Was Elaine's in New York? Yes. Did you develop a friendship with Mr. Weinstein soon after meeting him? No. When is the next time you remember you started to develop a friendship or relationship with Mr. Weinstein? When I had, for a period of time, I was partnered with the actor Sean Penn. We were making, partnered up to make some music videos, and we had a screenplay we were interested in making together. And we came to New York and met with Harvey. At some point, Mr. Felcher, where did you live when you first met Mr. Weinstein in the early 90s? L.A. Did at some point you move back to New York? I did. When did you move back to New York? It was a gradual process of weaning, but it was 95, 96 in there. So that's how he got to meet Harvey Weinstein. Then we got to hear how he met actress Annabella Sciorra. And she's significant. She is one of the complaining witnesses, not the criminal complaint, but the four prior bad act witnesses. People may know her from The Sopranos. She had a very significant role in The Sopranos. She was in Copland. She's quite a famous actress and she claims that she was raped by Harvey Weinstein in her Gramercy Park flat. So let's hear what she allegedly told Paul Felcher about her and Harvey Weinstein during a walk. During the time you lived in L.A., did you spend a lot of time in New York? Yes. Do you also know Annabella Sciorra? I do. How do you know Annabella? How did we meet, or... How did you meet? She probably does not remember. Our first meeting was on the set of a film called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I was representing another actress in the film, and Annabella is a new client in the company. I said hello. I think we had lunch on the set. Let me ask you what you were doing on the set of The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I was visiting an actress called Rebecca de Mornay. What was your relationship to the actress? I was on her team, one of her agents. What company did you work for back when you met Annabella and you were representing Miss de Mornay? ICM, 
International Creative Management. Tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury what ICM does. A full-service, at that time, agency was, still is, represents writers, actors, directors, primarily all athletes and other lecturers. It is quite a big company. How long were you with ICM? Eight years. What were the circumstances of your leaving ICM? I hated being an agent. I was about to turn 30. I just made a $10 million deal for a 10-year-old boy, and I wanted out. So I was in a catbird seat in terms of making choices where I want to go, and I left very happily. Were you fired from ICM? No. I have been fired from many jobs, but not ICM. After you met Ms. Shiora, did you develop a friendship with her? We did. Describe to the ladies and gentlemen of the jury what that friendship was like. She was for several year period, one of my closest friends. Were you living in L.A. when you first met? I was. Was she living in New York or L.A.? She was living in New York, but she had a little cubby. I believe Annabella had an apartment in L.A. She stayed at my place a couple of times. Let's go back when you first met Annabella. Were you living in L.A.? Yes. Did Ms. Shiora often visit you in L.A.? She would often visit L.A., We hung out and spent time together whenever we were in L.A. together. Did you see her in New York? I did. Do you remember a time when you and Annabella and Harvey were all friends? I certainly remember a time we were all in one another's orbit. Harvey was not, at that time, I would not say he was my friend. Annabella was my friend. At that time, in the early 90s, Miramax was the place in New York, and there were a lot of people in the Miramax orbits. Annabella was one. I was in the periphery. Eventually, when I moved back to New York, I was firmly entrenched in the filament. How long did your friendship with Annabella last? I mean, we have not been in touch for seven years. Did you have a conversation with Ms. Shiora where you and she were taking a walk? Oh, yes. Would you describe your friendship with her close? Yes, very. And going back to a conversation you had with Annabella on a walk, do you remember when that conversation was? Remember in which way? Do you remember the time frame? I mean, early 90s. It is many years ago. I know. I'm asking you to go back. Objection. Sustained. And what was the sum and substance of the conversation that you had with Annabella regarding Harvey Weinstein? I remember Annabella saying to me that she'd done this crazy thing with Harvey. And do you remember where you were when she said that to you? No. We were on an extremely long walk that night from Lincoln Center to, I believe we ended up going to a restaurant in Alphabet City, which is, if you know, in New York City, that is an hour and a half, two-hour walk. It was during that walk you remember her talking about doing something crazy with Harvey? Yes. At the time... What was your understanding of what she meant when she was talking about something crazy? Um, my understanding, as I understand it all these years later, was that it was... There were no components about what she was saying I found shocking or alarming, or it was not... I don't recall it being stressful. And I think that I would be a horrible friend if there was some component of that and... I did not follow up. I don't remember having any more conversation with her about it other than it felt, it felt, I guess, the tenor of the conversation felt... All right, hold on, Mr. Felcher. Uh, Sorry. She did not ask you any of that. Listen to the question she asked you. Sorry. And at the time that you had this conversation with Ms. Giora, did she explain that whatever crazy thing she did was sexual in nature? Objection. Sustained. Can you expound on what she talked about when she said she did a crazy thing with Harvey Weinstein? Objection. Overruled. Um, Her original question, Ms. Rotano's original question, what was your understanding of what this thing was? Okay. So, do you understand that question? I do. Can you answer only that question? Yes, sir. Give it a try. Sorry. My understanding was that she fooled around with him. And did Miss Annabella Shiora ever say anything to you about Harvey ever forcing her to do anything? No. Did she ever tell you anything about him coming over to her apartment on Gramercy and forcing his way in? Objection to leading. Objection. Watch the leading. Sure. 
Did Ms. Shiora ever tell you anything about a negative experience with Harvey on Gramercy? No. And in the early 90s, where do you remember Ms. Shiora residing? My primary memory is of her residence at the Century on the Upper West Side, because I stayed there when I was still living in L.A. I stayed in her place when I came to New York sometimes. I always think of that as her apartment. And... Was there ever a period of time that you can remember during your friendship with Ms. Jora that she didn't want to be with Mr. Weinstein? No. You went to many different events with Ms. Jora, is that correct? Sure, yeah. Many dinners? Yes. And were there events that both Ms. Jora and Harvey were both present? I believe so. And did she ever say to you that she did not want to be near him? No. And you stated that you have not seen her in about seven years? Correct. But from the early 90s until seven years ago, you saw each other regularly? Objection, Judge. Leading. Leading, leading. Sustained. Well, sorry, Judge. I'm trying to be short on brevity. We had a very intensive friendship until the early 2001, two, three, something like that. We were still friends, but then the next couple of years, I had kids. Our lives changed. So nothing about awkward sex in uh, the exchange he had with the actress Annabella Sciorra, which is significant and is a blow for the defense. When Annabella Sciorra was being questioned, being cross-examined by Damon Sharonis, he specifically asked her a question. Did you tell your friend Paul Felcher that you'd had awkward sex with Harvey Weinstein? The question was immediately shut down, but it was obviously planting a seed that they were hoping was going to grow and have a payback here. All they got Mr. Felcher to say was that she had, quote, done something crazy with Harvey Weinstein. Now, for him, it was obvious that it was of a sexual nature or, as he said, fooling around. But it wasn't the, the, the home run that the defense had hoped for. So then, so then we kind of go on to hear about this check, right? There's this money that went from the Weinstein company to, yes. to Mr. Fetzer. And there's a bit of questioning about that, yes. about how much it was and what it was for and whatever. So there's a whole story to do with, with yes. this check. He claims it was for genuine work and uh, that it was actually for less than what he was owed. And I think this is the defense trying to get ahead of some awkward questions that are later going to arise about his relationship with Harvey Weinstein. Let's hear this. And did you know her to take prescription medication? I did. If I can just have one moment. Mr. Felcher, you did some work with Mr. Weinstein in late 2016. Is that correct? It is. And what work were you hired to do? Judge, I don't have a super short answer for that. I was hired to be a consulting producer on a film that was weeks away from going into production. What was your function supposed to be? My function was meant to be the Grim Reaper who went in to try to slash the budget weeks before the beginning of principal photography. Did you have a contract for the work you were supposed to do? I did. What were the terms of that contract? I was paid a weekly. We made a six-week deal. How much were you supposed to be paid per week? 15000 per week. At some point in time, did you reach out to Mr. Weinstein because you had not been paid on that contract? Both my lawyer and myself reached out on several occasions, yes. And did you eventually reach an agreement about what amount was going to be paid? Yes. My lawyer reached a settlement with an attorney at the Weinstein Company. That settlement involved four weeks of pay. Is that... That is right. What did you get paid? 60000 That check was sent to you, correct? It was sent to my business manager in my account. You were eventually paid, right? Yeah. And that payment had to do with your work on the movie? Objection. Leading. Judge, she put in... Sustained. Why did you get paid $60,000? Because I did the aforementioned job. Objection. I was. If that was an objection, overruled. Sorry, Judge. Oh, you can answer. What did I get paid for? What did you get paid to do? I got paid to be this consulting producer. And you eventually were paid, correct? Yes. And then later we get to hear exactly what movie the money was for and Mr. Felcher's claim that the money is not connected to his testimony in this trial. So when we took a break, we were talking about the fact there was a series of emails that discussed the terms of your deal with Mr. Weinstein for the movie, correct? Correct. What was the name of that movie? It was released as a film called The Upside, a remake of a French film. The Untouchables was the original film, was the name of the original film, a French film, and released as The Upside. 
And that series of emails explains the circumstances with regard to your payment of $60,000 from Mr. Weinstein with regard to your work on that project? Am I meant to read through all of these? You can just scan through them. I think I've gone through them all. Do those emails fairly depict what ended up happening in terms of the settlement and the agreement? I believe so, yes. And, Mr. Feldsher, there is one line in one of the emails that says, I am loyal to you, Harvey. I will always have your back. You call on me. Honoring our agreement helps me know you've got mine. Correct? Correct. What did you mean by that statement? Briefly, my relationship with the company is I was sent in to a lot of very difficult situations, films that were in trouble, etc. So... I was kind of a Miramax Weinstein company Red Adair, and I always was. I felt like I always did a really good job for Harvey. I was pissed off that I wasn't being paid as promised. And did that conversation or this payment on the movie, The Upside, have anything to do with your testimony in court here? Zero. Then Paul Felsher faced aggressive questioning from Jonah Lucy Orban for the prosecution. He revealed he was there as a reluctant witness under subpoena. But as you'll hear, that didn't mean he didn't have plenty to say. She also asked him about his previous testimony and his ongoing friendship with Harvey Weinstein. Let's hear that. So just remember, these are actors reading actual testimony from the court today. Everything you hear is actors reenacting verbatim testimony as it was said in the court. How often do you speak to Harvey Weinstein? Weekly. Sometimes more than weekly? Sometimes less. And after you finished this job that was sort of all of those emails about all of this contract work you did for Harvey Weinstein, did you stay in touch with Harvey Weinstein? No. So after this money that you received, the $60,000, then you haven't been in touch with Harvey Weinstein? I am sorry. As I... I understand your question. You are asking if I stayed in touch with Harvey. I was angry with Harvey, so I took a Harvey vacation. I took another job, so I didn't. I wasn't in touch with him for some months. And when was it, sir, that you had this vacation from Harvey Weinstein and stopped being in touch with him? The only communication I had with him for a while there was, why am I not being paid? And then I didn't speak with him again until after October 2017 when all of this happened. Okay, so am I correct in saying that from early 2017 up until, say, December of 2019, there were periods of time when you were angry at Harvey Weinstein? Is that right? There was a period of time when I was angry at Harvey, yes. How long was that period of time? It was a few months when I wasn't being paid. And then after that few months, when you weren't being paid, then did you resume being in constant contact with Harvey Weinstein? I resumed contact. I reached out to Harvey when all of this happened. Listen to my question, sir. After that period of time when you were unhappy about the money you were owed by Harvey Weinstein, after that period of time, you got paid, right? Right. And then after that period of time, until right now... Have you been in constant contact with Harvey Weinstein? No. Do you recall having a conversation with Harvey Weinstein on April 26 of 2018? Um, I have no idea. Okay, do you recall having conversations with Harvey Weinstein May 3rd and May 4th, May 22nd of 2018, multiple conversations a day? Judge, I am going to object. He said he talked to him constantly. He said no. Overruled. Judge, this is the period he is trying to get paid. This is cross-examination, Judge. I'm sorry, do you remember multiple phone calls with Harvey Weinstein on May 3rd, May 4th, four phone calls, five phone calls on May 4th and May 22nd of 2018? I do not remember dates at all. How about July 2nd, 3rd, 7th, four conversations on the 7th? 8th and July 8th, do you recall speaking to Harvey Weinstein on those dates? Miss Alusi, you can name all the days you want. I was in pretty much constant conversation with Harvey for a while there. So so I can't I can't say which dates. If you have got phone records that you are referring to, then you know that we were, but I don't have those and I don't remember dates. Perhaps I'm mistaken. I asked you, have you been in constant conversation and contact with Harvey Weinstein since you got paid on that contract up until today when you arrived in court? That's my question to you. 
My answer is the same answer I gave you before. There was a few months period that I was pissed off at him, and I was not in touch with him. Aside from that few-month period, have you been in constant contact with him? Yes. So this, it wouldn't surprise you to find out that you had four calls on August 22nd, 2018? It would not surprise me. How about three phone calls on August 29? May I ask you, are these attempts to speak? Because I don't recall serial conversations. I mean... It's one trying to reach one and a hang-up. Is this a message? I don't know. So when you say four phone calls, it could have taken him or me four attempts to get in touch with one another. So I don't, I don't talk to my children that often. I can't imagine I was talking to him that often in a day. Okay. But we were in constant touch. So you were in constant touch. Is that right? Yes, Miss Aluzzi. But... You don't want to recognize, you don't seem to want to recognize that there is a period of time when I was angry with Harvey. I was working at another job, and I wanted nothing to do with him for a while. What was that period of time, sir? What months? I imagine it was in the spring of 2017, spring, summer of 2017. And after that, though, you have been in constant contact. I confirmed that a few times. And explain to the jury what that contact has been. Has it been every day, every week? I think you are in a better position to know that. Well, what's your recollection, sir? My recollection is, I don't know how to... This is somebody I knew that was in trouble, and I was speaking to him because... Partially because nobody else was. So I was talking to him. You felt badly for him. Did you feel badly for him? I felt badly that he was completely abandoned. I felt badly that it was looking very difficult for him to be the recipient of due process. So you were his friend and confidant all this time, is that correct to say? I don't know what you mean by confidant. His friend and confidant. I don't really think of myself as Harvey's confidant. I was friendly to him. He is He is not one of my... I am not trying to distance myself from him. I am just trying to give you an understanding of the nature of our friendship. It's not like we go hang out together. He is not like somebody that's going to come. It's, it's... Okay, so how many times have you seen Harvey Weinstein in the last year, say? Multiple. Multiple, like once a week? No. Once a month? Perhaps if you average it out, yeah. Have you spoken to him about this case? Not recently. Listen to my question, sir, because I don't have a timeline. I didn't give you a timeline. Have you spoken to him about this case? Sure. Sir, I have a pile of documents that I would like you to take a look at. Sir, can you do me a favor and just take your time and just take a look through that cache of documents, please? So November 1st of 2018, did you say to Harvey Weinstein that you believe there is likely a bunch of truth to the claims that you behaved like a cad and more? Yes. And did you also say to Harvey Weinstein, your appetite and ambition for the things that you want, a script, a movie, and yes, a girl, to put it mildly, voracious? Voracious. Voracious. Is that what you said? Yes, I did. Can you explain to the jury what you meant by that? When Harvey was very doggone in his pursuits of projects and materials, etc., and won lots of, um, um, I'm sorry, I am blanking on the word, auctions, for projects when he was extremely aggressive in acquiring material, and I referenced that. So, in the text messages, um, I am referencing my... The way my thoughts were organized around who he was vis-a-vis this context. Okay, so you would agree, of course, that Harvey Weinstein is an extremely aggressive person, right? Objection. Overruled. I'd say, I'd say... Is that a yes or a no? Is that a yes or no? Yes. And would you say that Harvey Weinstein has, from the time that you have known him, has been quite a large person too, correct? Large in... In stature. In physicality? Yes. He has been overweight most of the time I have known him, if that's what you're referring to. 
And would you say in your dealings with Harvey Weinstein that he is also a very loud person? Objection. Objection. Overruled. I think you have some pretty steep competition. No? The answer is yes or no. The answer is yes or no, or I cannot answer that with a yes or no. Is Harvey Weinstein a very loud person? It's not an adjective that I would use to describe Harvey. No, not? Now, you just explained to the jury that what you meant was that Harvey Weinstein wins a lot of awards, right? But you didn't say just awards. You said a script, a movie, or yes, a girl. To put it mildly, voracious. Now, what did you mean when you said a girl, voracious? What did you mean when you said that to Harvey Weinstein? I meant that it was my understanding for a very long time that Harvey had a sex addiction and that he dated a lot of women. Then you go on to say, if a lot of these girls had been my daughter, I would have wanted to beat the shit out of you. Is that right? That's correct. Why is that? Why is that? Objection, judge. Overruled. Um, I think I was trying... I mean, obviously, because any of... The thought of my child. My daughter is 13. So the thought of anyone, anything in that context, I find abhorrent at this point. And I guess I was trying to put into context. Look, I was trying to be a friend and to say, I know the extremes of your personality. I know the extremes of your appetite. But I did not believe that he was capable of the things that he had been charged with. Did you just say that your understanding was that Harvey Weinstein was a sex addict? Did you just say that? I am not a... I did just say that, but I am not a clinician. But I believe he had a voracious appetite that I spoke of, I think, yes, also applied to his appetite for women. Next, you said that, is it correct, that you started talking about Annabella, right, on these text messages? Well, initially, when I read... Listen to my question, sir. Did you start texting about Annabella Shiora to the defendant? No. Yes or no? Not by name. Not by name. Are you sure? Let me show you something, but maybe I can refresh your recollection, okay? No, I am refreshed. I know eventually the name was there. You asked me if I started texting about Annabella Shiora, and no, I was... Listen, I am, I am learning a lot now, and I had no idea that my text messages would end up in a courtroom when I was texting him. My question is, sir, not whether or not the series of texts, not the series of texts started with the word Annabella. My question was, did you begin to speak to the defendant about Annabella? I was referring to Annabella, yes. Did you say, I think she's full of shit? Yes. Did you say, I know you guys had an awkward whatever-the-fuck night 20 years ago? I take responsibility for all the texts you have in your hand. Did you also say, I remember her telling me about it the next day? Is that true? Was it the day before you went on that long walk that Annabella said this happened with the defendant? Under oath, that is not true. But you said that to the defendant. I did. And subsequently, so you talked about it the next day, and subsequently, but here you said that you don't believe you ever spoke about it again after that one long walk. Is that right? That is correct. So that was not true either? I don't believe so. I think that was condensing. I think I was... No, that is not true. Did you also say now the defendant, without telling us what, but the defendant says something back, right? I don't know where in the text you are looking at. Objection. Sustained. Did you say, well... The rape version got her an agent at CAA, so there is that. Did you say that? Again, I stand by every text that I wrote, but yes, I did write that. Then did you say... Well, was that true, sir? Sorry? Was that true? Do you have information that because Annabella has now said that the defendant raped her, that she got an agent? I cannot confirm that. But you said it to the defendant. I did. Then at some point you say Annabella is an asshole, is that right? Yes. But here in court, you said you still do care about Annabella, right? I think both can be true for a lot of people, but yes, I do care a lot about Annabella. Sir, is it correct to say that you were saying things that you thought Harvey Weinstein wanted to hear? Yes. And that's what you're doing today, aren't you, sir? No. 
Aren't you, sir, saying things in this courtroom that you think Harvey Weinstein wants to hear? Categorically, no. Didn't you say, sir, I think the dog pile of actresses who are suddenly brave and recalling suppressed memories is hideous? I did. When you say dog pile of women, what was it that you meant? I meant a plethora. I was not referring to the animal. I just was talking about the number. But there again... That is what the defendant, in your mind, wanted to hear. No, that is what, how I wanted to describe it, and I stand by that description. It is independent of what Harvey may or may not have wanted to hear. In the meantime, though, you did send Annabella a text, too, didn't you? I did. In the middle of saying to Harvey Weinstein she's a liar and she's an asshole, right? Correct. And to Annabella, you said... Bella, Meryl Poster asked me for your number. I should have asked you before I gave it. Sorry. Sorry about a bunch of stuff. Bewildered, too. Can't imagine what the kids are like at this point. Would love to see a pic. Would love healing and peace and friend back. I hope you are well. Current events are way too much for texts, but obviously acknowledgement goes to that awfulness. Did you say that to Annabella? When you say current events are way too much for texts, but obviously acknowledgement goes to that awfulness, what were you talking about? I was talking about the circumstances of her life that put her in the position where she was making what I felt were untrue allegations based on my experience. You did not say untrue. You said acknowledgement of that awfulness, right? Uh, No. You are speculating about what I'm talking about. The awfulness I'm talking about was the fact that Annabella was a 58-year-old woman unemployed with twins she could not support and no insurance, etc. I reached out at the same time and then... You are concerned about Annabella? Can he finish the answer? Sustained. Let the answer stand. Did you say to Harvey Weinstein... I got to tell you, unless and until you make a some kind of confession or you are proven legally guilty, I will continue to be the one, sorry, to be the controversial cum, C-U-M, inappropriate person who defends you. Is that what you said to Harvey Weinstein? C-U-M is Latin for also. I'm not referring to semen. I did say that, and I stand by that. Until and if he's found guilty by a jury of his peers, I stand by his right to the presumption of innocence. So that's a little bit rough. Yes. You know. Yeah, I have to say, Felcher, he he may have been there as a reluctant witness, but he seemed to be enjoying uh, his time in the witness box a little. I suppose. I don't know. I don't agree. I have to say I don't agree because, you know, I think some of these, I mean, clearly this is one of those cases where, you know, you never expect your texts to be, the. you know, it's Mm. a little bit like the, uh, it's a little bit like the FBI lovebirds, actually, you know, where people have text messages where they've written to a friend or whatever, lover or something. And then these, you never expect that that stuff is going to be read out in court. So, I mean, obviously it's very awkward for him with Annabella Shiora. Yes. You have this, you know, he's her friend and he says he's her friend and then he says all this stuff about her. And then, you know, he's writing in one way to Harvey Weinstein and he's writing in a very other way to Mm -hmm. her at the very same time. But I think at the same time, I would say, you know, I would say I was looking at, you know, at the jury today and thinking they're sitting there thinking, I've done that. I've done that where I've maybe written something to someone and written, you know, about someone and then written to that person and with a very different tone. Yes. I think the other thing that I thought was, you know, was interesting there was he thought about his daughter and he called him a cad. It's interesting. I called him a sex addict too. And he called him a sex addict. Which, you know, I mean, how much of this sticks with the jury? Your friend calls you a sex addict. The thing is, an addict will break the law for his fix. Right now, of course, sex addict is is a much overused word, and and by the way, I'm not sure there is an addiction, you know. But uh, also, by the way, it's not a crime, right? So yes. you could be a sex addict, and if you've got enough people lined up that want to have sex with you, then you know, good for you. Yes. Um, off you go. But um, and I thought, yeah, I've seen some people writing about the fact that he's described as a cad and saying that that's kind of you know prove something. I don't, you know, I don't think so. It depends on your definition of a CAD. Mm. I mean, I mean, and I've certainly used the word CAD against people and I don't think they should be locked up, you know what yes. I mean? But it's, you know, it's hard to know. And I think you and I talked earlier, Phelan, about how do we think this went today for the defense? And I, you know, I wouldn't be able to say, I really wouldn't be able to say. I don't think it was brilliant. No, it wasn't. Um, you it know, wasn't. and I think there was all this stuff about, he obviously has this very strong relationship with Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. I actually, you know, I thought that whole thing of, because I, when I started hearing him today, I kept thinking, 
my God, this is this man's only friend in the world. It, it kind of yes. sounded a bit like that yes. to me. And particularly when you look at the a number of text messages and dialogue yeah. between these people over this last period of time, it's like he uh, is uh, his uh, only friend. And Harvey Weinstein tried to do him out of money a few years back and he still, you know, obviously he got paid most of the money, but he didn't get paid all of it. So yes, the, the, there was something kind of, you know, you kind of respected Paul Felcher actually for sticking with his friend. Well, as he sort of said, I mean, he said everyone is, you know, deserves their day in court and they deserve due, due process. process. And what do they call it? Dog? What was the dog pile of what? Oh yeah, oh. the dog pile of women. You know, actresses. Yeah, that uh, suddenly be some of the, some of that stuff definitely doesn't do well and, in, a, and, in an open court. Uh, yes, read, some reading your texts never does. And was Annabella Skewer only? Uh, she only got an agent by crying rape or some, something like that. I mean, it's it's. That she got with CAA because she cried rape. Yes. I mean, so we're going to wrap it up here. Um, yeah, just you to could, say to you, everybody... I, I, we would love to know what you thought of today's yeah, testimony, please. actually. I mean, people have said... You see some of the comments were pro this or anti that. We're very sceptical. Of jur- everybody. As journalists, we have to be sceptical. And at the end of the day, we don't know how it resonates with the jury because as journalists, a jury is different from a journalist, you know. We're, we can speculate and no outside information. And ultimately, we're not putting Harvey Weinstein in prison for the rest of his life. So juries take their role yeah, they very take their job seriously. Very seriously yeah. so, and beyond a reasonable doubt, it's something all of these instructions are going to be given to them by the yes. judge. And as we say that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting that it looks like this trial is going to wrap up a lot quicker than we yes. thought. What there were they t- saying? What did the judge well, say Well, originally, originally they were talking about the 5th of March, but the judge today said the defence case is going to be over in three days or so. So there was a bit of today, a bit of tomorrow, and then maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday. And then there's going to be the prosecution wrapping up and the defence wrapping up and the judge wrapping up. Their next Wednesday is a court holiday and the Monday after that is a court holiday. So it could be over by next Friday. It'll probably go on, maybe I feel, although someone in the Weinstein camp did tell me today that they expect it to be over by next Friday. However, I heard from other sources in the prosecution that they think it might drag on to the next week. So, so we're going, and we, we've had a preview of some of the people that we're going to get to hear from the defence, including one Miss Loftus, who's an expert psychologist who has an incredibly interesting history of expert testimony and, and some of those trials she's been involved in yes. are absolutely fascinating. We will let you maybe look her up and work out who yes. she is, but she's really, really an interesting person who particularly yeah. has... Uh, her speciality is in this recovered we, memories. Yes. Um, and she's done amazing, she was, she amazing did, she research was, on she that. She did famous work in California in the satanic abuse panic of the 80s, was it, or the 90s, uh, where children were given implanted memories by, que- also, by questioning. And she also did actually a, a research project where she, you know, and it was a clinically supervised and peer-reviewed where mm-hmm. she had a bunch of children who she implanted an idea in their head that they had been lost in a supermarket, in a, in a grocery store, and then had been found by a stranger. Yeah. It hadn't happened to any of them, and they all believed it had But by yes. the time she was finished with them. So anyway, she's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very, I mean, this is going to get more and more interesting by the day. If you like what we're doing, if you like what we're trying to achieve here, please donate at unreportedstoriesociety.com and please rate the podcast. You can rate on the Apple Podcast yeah. app. And we're reading everything, and we're reading the criticism as well as the very yes. nice comments that we're getting. So please go to unreportedstoriesociety.com, give what you can. This is expensive, but it's important. People really appreciate. As, as somebody in the comments said, this is just like being in the courtroom. Our actors are wonderful. Yeah, they're, we're they're, so lucky. They're out in LA every night working all hours. And our editor is working through the night yes. in Georgia. And a big shout out to Mark. So yeah. we're really impressed with everyone's work. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Today's podcast is produced by Unreported Story Society and Magdalena Segeda and Raquel Lerman of Theatre Planners. Written and presented by Phelan McAleer and Anne McElhaney. Directed by Kif Scholl. Donna Rotano is played by Caitlin Carlton. Megan Hast is played by Kristen Connors. Judge James Burke is played by Thomas Vasella. Jonah Luzi Orban is played by Michelle Gardner. Lauren Young is played by Leilani Smith. Damon Chironis is played by David Stanbra, and Paul Feldscher is played by Nathan Talutke. Edited by Chris Gorski, engineered by Mark De La Fuente.